Welcome to OCA's Asia Town Voice, an hour-long nonprofit program on WGCU's 88.7 FM radio. We are on every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. It's an hour-long program that provides an inside look at the Asian Pacific American community and their culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. OCA's Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that you, the listener, will enjoy our program and give your support to WJCU. This way, we can provide um, many voices with many choices to you. And I'm a guest host. I'm Lisa Wong, president of OCA Greater Cleveland, here with Johnny Wu. Hello. Also known as the ghost host. Because <laughs> sometimes he's here and sometimes he's not, so he might like come and go. Um, today we have um, in the studio um, from our OC National Staff Office, we have Janet Nam Kuhn and Nick Lee. Um, Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Janet, what is your title at? National? Sure. Um, so my name is Janet Namkung, and I am the Civic Engagement Associate at uh, OCA National in Washington, D.C. And uh, my name is Nick Lee. I'm the Senior Communications Associate at OCA National. Okay. And what do you do? What does the Senior Communications person do? Well, so um, as a Senior Communications Associate, I'm kind of responsible for controlling all the outgoing communications from the National Center. So whether that's communicating to press about policies, whether that's doing social media to engage our membership and also other advocates from around the country. And, um, you know, that, you know, it also has a lot to do with outreach, outreaching to local communities and making sure that they know that we're doing the work necessary to move the Asian Pacific American community forward. Okay. And... What other communication avenues does OCA National have? That's a great question. So we have uh, Facebook, which is facebook.com slash O-C-A-N-A-T-L. And we also have Twitter, which is um, slash OCA National. So those are the two social media avenues that we primarily have. But feel free to sign up for our listserv at www.ocanational.org. And that's the best way to stay in touch with all the different work that we're doing. Um, and, you know, to also reach out to us and, you know, ask questions about the type of things that we're doing. Because, you know, we're not only the national organization. We're also in places like Cleveland. We're in places like New York. We're in places like Houston. So that way you can stay in touch. And you also have a magazine called Image, right? Yes, we do have a magazine. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, we, we have Image Magazine, and, and so, you know, that's, some, that's a publication that's been running since the late 70s. So, um, quite honestly, yeah, it's probably one of the best uh, places to find information on uh, the ways that Asians, Americans, and Pacific Islanders have been advocating for civil rights over the last 30 years. So, uh, very exciting publication, and you can get one if you go online and become a member. Yes, and interesting enough, Janet um, was the former membership person of mm -hmm. her national, but now yes. you're doing civic engagement. Yes, I am. Um, so yeah, I started out with OCA actually being an intern on immigration reform with our OCA New York chapter, and when the opportunity arose to work at the national office, I definitely jumped on it, and I started my first year doing chapter membership work, um, which gave me wonderful opportunity to meet all our different members across the country um, having 50 chapters across the nation and um, it's really always encouraging to see the different efforts that folks do and now in my second year at OCA I've been the Civic Engagement Associate and um, it's led our organization to utilize a wonderful you know grant that we received from the Walt Wall Sage Culture Foundation and so we've been able to uh, use those funds to deploy out our chapters and uh, mobilize in the GOTV or get out the vote, you know, initiatives. And so um, it's been really, really great because I feel like I keep doing this because I see how our volunteers and our members are just so powerful in the messages that they can send out to their local communities. Um, our members have been doing anything from voter registration tables, voter education, phone banking, door-to-door -door canvassing, and um, just, you know, educating everyone from their left to their right, to their friends, to their family. And um, it's always 
great to see that we are doing everything we can to make sure that um, Asian Pacific Americans are out at the polls every day or on election day and that um, they are also ed- well-educated voters as well and well-informed voters and um, also sharing them the different options of how they can vote knowing that you don't have to just come to the polls on election day but there is early voting and you can apply for an absentee ballot and things like that so um, it's been a really great year and uh, considering the type of election year, year we're having, I hope people really do go out to vote and um, you know share their voices and show that the Asian American vote actually means something. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, and election day is November Tuesday, November eighth, and in Ohio the polls open from six thirty a.m. to seven thirty p.m. Yes. So keep that in mind, everyone. Um, and I know that recently OCA's partnered with. Uh, API vote and they're doing this power up. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about this power up campaign? Sure. It's uh basically we are in partnership with API Vote, another national organization um specifically dedicated on on increasing the Asian American vote and voice and so uh, they've been doing these really great PSA campaigns with all sorts of well-known faces in the Asian American community, whether it's YouTube stars or uh, Fresh Off the Vote stars. Um, and so they've been trying to really tap into that millennial population and getting folks really hyped up to go out and vote and um, kind of also show why it's important to vote on a personal level and sharing you know, their own stories about uh why they go out to vote. So um, AJ Raphael has been on it, um, you know, Constance Wu and Randall Park and uh, the Kinjas and stuff. So it's been really great to see those folks using their, you know, celebrity power and privilege to really uh, get the vote out. Yeah, that's great. Um, So I don't know, Nick, do you have anything to add to, you know, communication wise, how we're reaching out to uh, APA voters. Yeah, actually, you know, it's a project that Janet and I have been working on is um, reaching out to Chinese American voters specifically. Um, One of the things that's been lacking is just outreach from any party, really, or aside from political parties, but even from the government in many cases, to encourage uh, Chinese language voters to get to the polls. So what we've been trying to do is trying to access these uh, social networks that Chinese folks are a part of which includes uh, WeChat and then, you know, also taking out an advertisement and doing some TV advertisements. And, um, you know, part of the problem uh, with Asian American voting is that there's just a huge lack of, uh, you know, language access for the people who really need it. Um, And, you know, how are you supposed to be able to vote if you can't understand how? Um, So I think uh, what we're doing is we're really trying to increase the democratic potential of uh, our communities and so far it's been going well <laughs> and I'm looking forward to uh, even more action on that. Yeah and so um, we, uh, we've been uh, being able to identify kind of why are the reasons Asian Americans and specifically Chinese Americans may not be going out to vote. With our community it's you know it's mostly about trust Right. And so if you don't have the trust of the community, they are not more apt to want to do something, especially when it comes to politics. Um, When you kind of look at the scheme of um, the lay of the land, I guess, like how government was run overseas, it's very different. And so to get folks kind of used to what the American democratic system looks like is kind of one, you know, first step in kind of getting those folks engaged in that way. And so... um, it's been we've been trying to get the word out including uh, a wonderful hotline that was created by api vote and ajc um it's one eight 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 api vote so it's one eight 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 two seven four eight six eight three and they offer you know eight different languages if you call the hotline to assist folks uh folks at the poll um or even before election day and, you know, all sorts of questions. Uh, so myself, if you uh, hit the option for Korean, I'll actually be the one picking up the phone calls. And so um, it's been really nice to see, one, that folks really do want to understand the voting process better so they can be uh, knowledgeable at the polls, whether it's, you know, um, 
how can I get a translated version of my ballot or, you know, uh, what, you know, how do I register? or You know, what's the, am I registered and how do I get to my poll? So those are really great questions that have been coming in. And um, if you or your family members or friends uh, are at the polls on election day and you need assistance at the poll, whether it's they're not, you know, maybe they're not letting you vote that day because maybe your ID might not seem right, um, please do give the hotline a call because lawyers um, will be available to assist you that day on the hotline and um, and again will be in uh, the different languages. So um, that, I think that's a wonderful resource that's out there. Janet, can you list the languages? Sure. Uh, the different languages, it's Mandarin, Cantonese, Korean, Vietnamese, Tagalog, Urdu, Hindi, and Bengali. Okay, great. There's a lot of resources, and I know that um, some states have more resources than others because there are larger populations, Asian populations, in what California, New York, and possibly Texas, right? Yeah, Texas, definitely. Even um, even like Southern Florida is pretty good as well mm-hmm. in those areas. Yeah. Yeah, I know in Ohio, I think Spanish is the only other language mm-hmm. that um, is on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in Ohio, you know, our, our chapter encourages, um, people with, um, difficulty in language to, um, vote by mail. Right. Because then they're able to get assistance from family members mm-hmm. or from volunteers. So recently, um, our chapter had a ballot review session with a senior housing apartment in Cleveland's Asia Town, and we had about 16 seniors and it was their first time voting and they didn't understand um you know how there were so many envelopes Mm -hmm. um about you know even like you know circling so we had we had some from the board of elections um go through the process of voting we had an interpreter who spoke mandarin and cantonese um so we were able to provide general information on how to vote and then we were able to assist them should they when they if they asked right no absolutely i mean some of the questions i get um one i had someone tell ask me do i have to vote and i said you should (laughs) (laughs) and um i she was like as i you know as a nonpartisan organization i'm not trying to tell her how to vote but more or less you know the importance of her vote and i explained to her that you know there's already a perception among folks that asian americans don't really care about the issues or care about the candidates and things like that and if you really do care about where you live and your family and friends and um this is the kind of stuff that affects your family and friends and so you should go out to vote that day or submit or cast your ballot and um and then there's other questions like they didn't know like what the write-in part is right like that's not something that's on every ballot across the world and so Um, there's just little tidbits like that and if you know organizations out there all different kinds of community-based organizations can create these spaces like um, OCA Greater Cleveland has and just really um, uh, just go through these sample ballots with folks and just get them you know practice makes perfect right so the more they get into the groove of it the the more likely they'll be returning to the polls every year because you know, um, again, Asian Americans have the lowest turnout on election day, um, but it's even lower on non-presidential election days. So we want to make sure folks get involved in the local and state level every year and um, and are also, you know, become aware of it because a lot of the callers I get who ask me, oh, do I need to register again? I was like, oh, like, did you, have you voted before? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, when's the last time? It's usually the last presidential election. Yeah. So, um, it's very evident that that's the one election um, if people are going to go to is that one. But again, we want to educate folks more about how to get more engaged and tell them that, oh, actually, like your local and state elections impact the presidential election eventually. And so, uh, yeah, that's uh, probably the one big thing I try to push with folks. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Any questions, Johnny? <laughs> No, I'm just listening here. <laughs> so we, I guess I can have Nick and uh, Janet talk about uh, yourself and how and why did you get involved with OCA? Yeah, well, uh, for myself, you know, 
Um, my family has known OCA for quite some time. Um, you know, my father was in the Clinton administration, and then so he linked up with Daphne Kwok, who was a longtime executive director um, at OCA. So, you know, fresh from college, I graduated. I was uh, interning on Capitol Hill, and, you know, I felt like what I was doing um, was mostly for my career. And um, that's all well and good, but you know, after, since joining OCA, I realized that it was definitely the right choice to take this job. Um, you know, for me, it's very important to feel like I'm in touch with uh, you know my Asian American side, to feel like I'm doing something for my community and for people like me. And I always reference back to my grandparents, you know, who were you know, Chinese immigrants and uh, the life that they led was very much impacted by kind of the policies that the government had, including the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, and, you know, I have to reference back to that point and think, um, now that I'm in this place where I don't have to worry about something like that, how do I help the others who are still, you know, working with our government, you know, with laws that don't work in their favor, you know, things like voting laws where it's very hard uh, for an immigrant to learn how to vote. Um, you know, you think about all the things that are really important to you and why they're important to you and you're able to kind of project that onto somebody else and say, I'm going to try to help and do my best to make sure that, you know, we're all able to succeed in America. Great. Um, so for me, my parents immigrated here in like the mid 80s. And so they uh, growing up, I didn't like know there was such a thing as an Asian American identity. I just thought I was just Korean my whole life. And um, as I got older, I progressively realized there was a clear difference between my parents and myself and just how what they thought was right isn't necessarily not that they were wrong but it wasn't necessarily worked for me as an asian american and so um i my whole life i just i was like i'm so korean i'm not american and um somewhere along the lines i uh was studying to you know i was studying international studies so i was like oh i'm just gonna work in that realm of work but I just felt very disconnected from it I finally realized that if I were to ever go to Korea they would see me as an American and not a Korean and so um, I finally realized I was like oh I'm actually a Korean American and I identified as such since then and um, I've been even to this day I'm still discovering what that really means but I think that's why I got myself involved in these spaces and so in college thankfully I went to a school where I was like the only person of color in all my classes and wow. very little like you know presence of like the Asian American community and but I thankfully had a faculty member who was academic advisor on my campus who happened to be Asian American and um, he just kind of came up to me one day and was like, hey, do you want to join this API org on campus? I'm like, sure. Yeah. And so I joined and um, I got really into it. It was in a time and place where I was looking for something. So I was thankful it was that and not something else. Then uh, I that's how I then got to know about ECASU, which is the East Coast Asian American Student Union. And uh, they hold a, a, a conference every year around like February. And it's uh, where all these different East Coast college students, um, Asian Americans come together and they go to different workshops. And um, it's not really like learning about like Asian culture, but really learning about Asian American culture. And I think that's what's really great about it. And that was when I was, that was like my beginnings of understanding what my identity really means. And so through that, I met really great people. And um, someone who was on the national board with me happened to be an OC intern and uh, she had just finished her internship and she told me about it and she ended up also being a OCA fellow in the future and that's actually how I found out about OCA and they happened to um, when the ICASU conference was in New York one year uh, OCA New York happened to have a table there and I was like oh I'll sign up and um, I then 
you know, got a call from Liz Oang, who was the then chapter president. She was like, oh, do you want to be an intern for us? I was like, sure. <laughs> and so uh, right out of college, I interned for um, OCA in New York. It was in 2013 when the immigration reform bill was introduced, um, at least from the Senate and um, kind of just working the little tweaks out and making sure that, you know, it was benefiting our community versus hurting our community. Um, it was also during a time of uh, kind of when Trayvon Martins, you know, was shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was also doing a lot of stuff around hate crimes. And um, I just realized like this was the work for me. <laughs> and so um, I thought about it in the sense that like I saw how my parents like mm -hmm. lived in this country and I was like, oh, I really wish they had something like OCA to help them. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, like, I think I want to help people who are in, like, my parents' situation. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I've been loving this stuff since. <laughs> great. It's great. I know there's a lot of chapters um, across um, the U.S. Um, some of the bigger chapters. Um, Nick, do you, can you tell us about some of the other chapters yeah. out there? Of course. Yeah. Um you know, I'm just going to keep hammering this voting rights thing. But uh, I think uh, OCA Houston's a great example of a chapter that has really built itself up and really developed into a, um, you know, really a community mainstay. Um, uh, they have their own staff now. Um, and one of the things that they were um, that's not talked about as much as it should be is they were the plaintiffs in a voting rights case um, in Houston. So one of the things uh, that not many people know is that you are allowed to bring in a translator of your choice mm -hmm. based under the Voting yes. Rights Act. So um, basically a woman in Houston, um, I believe she was Tamil or Indian? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. um, so she spoke Tamil and uh, she was unable to bring in her son as a translator, I mm -hmm. believe. They told her that that was illegal and that she could not. Uh, so actually... Uh, OCA Houston um, and All Deaf was actually, I think, the primary mm -hmm. and um, folks behind it, in addition to Fish and Richardson. Uh, so those two firms kind of uh, sued Texas, the state of Texas, and they won. So um, unfortunately, the other plaintiff actually uh, passed away before the verdict was handed down. But um, I think it's really important to you know, they're doing that important work in the sense that this is something that really impacted this person's life. And, you know, it's unfortunately that, that she would not, uh, you know, live to see the, you know, to see that uh, it was upheld. But it is very important. So there are chapters doing very important things. It's not always celebrated as much as it should be, mm -hmm. but um, many chapters, including Cleveland. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cleveland is a powerhouse when it comes to GOTV work. I always, you know, call Lisa for anything, so and she's always there. And um, I'm always pushing to always, um, for all our chapters who really are dedicated to the work, I'm always a huge advocate for them in whichever way possible, whether it's if I can get you more money or if I can get you more resources or get you free resources. And so um, I think, like, uh, OCA Greater Cleveland, also St. Louis has been coming up in the ranks in this mm -hmm. world of GOTV efforts. Um, uh, OCA GLA has also gotten a permanent office staff to kind of wow. run some stuff out there as well. And so um, they've been really coming up the ranks when it comes to GOTV work as well. So it's been really growing. And me personally, because this is like the program I manage, like it's really what I love to see. And um, but I can't, you know, can't forget my OCA New York chapter. They're, <laughs> they're always just so on top of it when it comes to civil liberty issues. And uh, they, you know, as folks may or may not know, like they were uh, continue to work on the private Denny Chen case, um, mm -hmm. you know, hazing case. And um, that's always a tremendous um, effort that they continue to work on um, in collaboration with the OCA National Office. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always say it's the members who get me through the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something that's very unique about OCA is that we are this national organization, but we do have chapters. Mm -hmm. There are real people who, um, you know, help us make our decisions based on what's happening in local communities, because 
uh, DC is not reflective of the rest of America. So it's really important to have these chapters to help stay in touch with what's really going on in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of like we were talking about, you know, why do you do this job? And it's because you see these people who sacrifice so much time and energy to do, uh, to, you know, volunteer and, you know, volunteer and all these things. And then we get to do it and we get paid for it. <laughs> so I think that's pretty great. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I just like, I'm always amazed how much stuff like volunteers can get done. And even as someone who volunteers myself, it's just, uh, I think it's very rewarding um, for the community, but for yourself as well. And uh, it's always great to see like Asian Americans being invested in our community because you always hear like, oh, Asian Americans don't care. Asian Americans don't do this and that. But I'm like, that's not true. Like I literally work with hundreds and thousands of folks who like are invested in our community and are hurt when things don't go right and are really happy when things do go right. And uh, that's, I mean, this is why I'm just like, I'm just in this forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, I don't know if you saw, I don't have a poster of it. Um, recently, OCA was conducted by um, AIGA Cleveland, a design um, association in Cleveland, and we worked on a Get Out the Vote poster mm, nice. where it says um, Asian American Vote I can vote. Mm -hmm. So we thought, and then they had um, vote in um, major six Asian languages right on the poster with the 1 800 number right on there. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so again, that number is 1 888 API vote 1 888 Please call me if you're Korean, especially. I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, how about, what do you guys like to do in your spare time? What, how do you like Cleveland, actually? You're here at a great time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we, I was just in Chicago for work, and then I came to Cleveland, so it was just a shift from Cubs fans <laughs> to Indians fans. But, um, but, yeah, Cleveland's great. I mean, uh, I think, Definitely the the highlight has been uh, speaking with one of the older OCA members is David Namkung. Um, and, you know, he's a really incredible guy because uh, people think of Asian American advocacy as this new thing. But, you know, this guy has been doing it since I think he said 1961. Yeah. So if you can think about that, um, you know, that was before the March on Washington. That was before a lot of the kind of landmark civil rights things. And one of the funniest things is he has a picture of, uh, his wife and Martin Luther King, just, yeah. just a gigantic picture. I mean, if I had oh. the, if I had the picture, I would make it huge too. But um, <laughs> you know, but but it shows that Asian Americans have cared about these issues for mm -hmm. a long time um, and have been working on these issues, and we've been there. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not always recognized, but we have been there. So I think that's that's been really great mm -hmm. and. You know, learning learning about Cleveland through his eyes, um, I think, is very interesting too. Um, because you know, it's it, when you think of Asian Americans, you're not Cleveland isn't the first place that pops into your head. You know, you're thinking L.A. or New York, but the fact is, folks have been here and they're still here. And you know, folks like Lisa are <laughs> you know pulling things through and making sure that our cultures and our advocacy is recognized yeah no absolutely um i mean i remember when i was telling someone at a conference i was like oh i'm gonna talk to our cleveland chapter his response was there's asians in cleveland <laughs> and i'm like yes <laughs> and but i mean i think it's a it's a true and telling response only because like you just never think some of the pockets of this country like there are asian americans there and um i you know being someone who was born and raised in New York and always, you know, in a sense, like, surrounded by folks who are, you know, are mostly, like, people of color. And then I then come to these areas where it's, like, the complete opposite. It's always very different. And I think it's areas like this and the Asian Americans who live in communities like this that I'm like, oh my God, like you all are amazing <laughs> because it's like, if 
I don't, I don't know what I would have done if this was kind of what I grew up with and like <laughs> just the lack of resources and yet you're still like pioneering through it like I think it's so amazing I mean um it's just as the you know data says and from 2000 to 2010 um the API population grew in Ohio by 49 percent like I mean that's a tremendous growth rate and I think that's amazing that more folks are coming into this area and um hopefully that you know gives opportunity to the you know, thrive for the Asian American community out here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my thing with David and, you know, David and Fran Nam Kuhn, like, I just think they're amazing people and like what they have done. And it's, uh, to me, I think folks like them and like Yuri Kochiyama and like Grace Lee Boggs and like Helen Zia, those are the folks that we look up to and be like, yes, like, we need to work with different communities and fight for our rights and fight for our voices. And so, um, yeah, I'm just adding David and Fran to my list now. <laughs> yeah, no, they they were my role models from early on. They're one of the reasons why I got involved with OCA um, out of college. Um, they're just amazing, the work that they've done. Um, and they're so humble, you know. Mm-hmm. They They just do their work, and they've made so many connections in the community, and they even did a lot um, in the non-Asian community as well. Um, so, yeah, they're they're yeah. wonderful. Yeah, OCA is really a family organization. <laughs> you can you can trace the, you know, the <laughs> the line of uh, ascension. So now Lisa's the president, obviously. But mm-hmm. I, you know, everyone's connected to each other. Everyone knows each other. It's it is like a little family. So, yeah, I think it yeah. really does take like that one powerful like mentor or leader to really like invigorate you somehow to get yourself involved in this work and um you know if it wasn't I feel like you're so lucky to have like people like David and Fran who just like kind of got you into that stuff yeah um you know I think growing up um in Cleveland I had a lot of issues um identity issues as well um, not having role models on TV or elsewhere. You know, I'm being I'm the oldest of five, um, first in my family to go to college, um, and it was I was looking for something. And in college, I met other Asian Americans like myself because you know my family members I either they're like um, most most of my mom's family is born in Hong Kong, um, and they would always say to me like you know, well, you're definitely not Chinese, you know, <laughs> you know, you, you just look Chinese, you're, you're more of an American. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't know where I stood. Mm-hmm. So, but in college, after college, um, I found there was a meeting and I went to it and Alex Mark, you know, mm-hmm. who's the fou- one of the founders of OCA, um, he was the chair at the time and there I met Fran and Dave and they were looking for volunteers to uh, um, help with the newsletter. By then it was, you know, printed newsletter, <laughs> monthly newsletter, <laughs> nice. way back then. They did bulk mailing, you know, <laughs> in case I don't know about that. Um, so they said, I said, well, I can help you with the newsletter. And I think Fran said to Dave, Lisa wants to help with the newsletter. I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm the editor of the newsletter. <laughs> but they they did help me through that. They provide the articles. Um, they help come stuff the envelopes. Um, they you know they just help in every aspect of that. Um, so I did that for at least three years. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, like working with Liz in New York was just like, oh, she's like my shero. She's amazing. Watch like just watching her speak like just put something in your soul like uh i would invite my colleagues and my friends to come out to all these different rallies and um you know uh, presentations that liz would do whether if it was for private nhn or if it was for trayvon and all these different things and i mean i feel like everyone walks out the same way just be like i need to do something <laughs> like liz said i need to do something i need to do something and so um i i'm so grateful I can live in a time where those mentors are available to me and like there are people I can look up to where I know for other folks it's, it wasn't something that was always available. So. Right, right. Um, so yeah, growing up in Cleveland and, 
and now that I'm president of OCA, I have the opportunity to go to uh, national board meetings. Mm -hmm. And I like going because I get to meet other leaders out there doing great works in their community, and it motivates me to want to do more. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Absolutely. I love seeing y'all every every other four months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe we should bring a national board meeting back again to Cleveland. I'm down. I think they've been asking. <laughs> um, I think we probably we need more volunteers. <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have that many volunteers back then. What six seven years ago, and we pulled it off. So and everybody <laughs> have a great time. Yeah, I'm not I'm not asking for a national convention because that's a little bit more headache mm-hmm. to do. But they're they're asking about that too. <laughs> maybe. We know we do have a new. Um, our convention center is like downtown. Uh, nice the medical now, and convention center is really, really nice. Yeah, um, global we'll take center we of can get. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because the RNC was here, we have more hotels. You know. Oh, that's yeah. right. Hil- a big giant Hilton yeah. <laughs> was just put up, and right. and I'm very sure um, back then when the national board meetings were held here in Cleveland, everybody had a great time. We took them all to different places to check out. Uh, they have wonderful food. Uh, Mr. Ray Chen pay for everything. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody have dim sum, wonderful food. And have, you know, enjoyed it. That's yeah, great. and I think you also like what was it a board meeting that you took them to the Rock Hall? Oh, the Rock. I'm not sure whether we did that, but maybe we did. Well, someone mentioned somebody something. went to the Rock Hall. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. we gave them the opportunity. <laughs> There's always a Rock Hall. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a really nice. We called the North Coast over here. Oh, okay. You know, instead of East Coast, West Coast, oh, we have the North Coast. <laughs> so the pier is very nice over here. Mm. Um, there's even the sand volleyball court. Like yeah, and there's mm. a very nice re- a Mexican restaurant I just had uh, lunch at. Uh, oh, uh, It's really? actually really good. Oh, okay. Um, and there's nice Cleveland signs all over where you can take, you know, photos at. Yep, <laughs> and Cleveland has over 127 ethnic groups here. Mm. Yeah, Cleveland is very, very diverse, mm. and... Um, I think because there's so many immigrants that come here, um, we can retain our culture a little bit more and have authentic food. So we have a lot of um, pockets of you know, ethnic pockets. Of, restaurants. Yeah, right. restaurants, areas like Little Italy, um, Slovenia neighborhoods. Um, yep. And we also have the, yeah. the, the world unique gardens in right. Here in, right here in Cleveland, the Cleveland Cultural Gardens. It's the only place in the world that has cultural gardens. Yep. And how many gardens are there? There are 29 different uh, gardens right now and eight more to come. And nice. and this year we just celebrate what, 100 years of this the year cultural gardens. Oh, wow. Cleveland <laughs> Cultural Gardens. In fact, this weekend is the final celebration of this Czech garden. Mm. So it's going to be fun. Okay. All right, Cleveland has a lot more than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and we got we got great sports teams right now. Oh, that's exactly. that is true. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Warriors fan over there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's take a little break uh, for music, and then we can get back again to continue the show. Sure. Take me away to a place so simple and free Where there's no lies and no darkening the skies Here am I, come take me away to a place so peaceful to me where there's no strife and no loss of innocent life my getaway Till that day I 
to a place without any greed where there's no pain and no color lines remain here am i come take me away to There's no haste and nothing considered a waste. My getaway, starting anew, I'll find my way. Looking forward to that wondrous day when With OCA Asia Town Voice, an hour-long nonprofit program with WGCU's 88.7 FM radio. We're on every Sunday from 7 to 8. It's an hour-long program that provides an inside look at the Asian Pacific American community and their culture, education, and events going on in Northeast Ohio. OCA's Asia Town Voice is volunteer-based, and we hope that you, the listener, will enjoy our program and give your support to WGCU. This way, we can continue to provide many voices with many choices to you. And we are in the studio with Janet Namkoon and Nick Lee from OCA National Center. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to continue on. Um, so um, I think, well, I guess we'll just go on to the food topic. We always talk about food. Um, <laughs> so um, what kind of um, Asian cuisine do you like um, to eat? Well, Cook. <laughs> my family is Chinese. Uh, mm. We grew up going to a lot of Cantonese restaurants. Um, so my favorite joke is, I know what everything is at a dim sum restaurant. I just don't know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's nothing like some good Cantonese food to kind of uh, let me unwind, whether that's pan-fried noodles, you know, cha siu, of course. Everyone loves the roast pork stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I like to cook, but, or actually what I like. You to like to cook. I, okay. I do like what do to cook. Like to, what do you like to cook? Uh, I like to cook a lot of, um, Sichuan food, which oh. is, you know, the very hot, like spicy pepper type stuff. Um, I think it's more interesting, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, love my Cantonese food, but, uh, you know, it can be, you know, it's like comfort food, but, you know, if you really kick it up a notch with, the Sichuan food, which is uh, a lot of the rage in the D.C. area, actually. Um, so, you know, a lot of that's Mapo tofu. Um, you know, you can do things like dry-frying lamb. Um, yeah, I never understood that. What is this dry-fried stuff? <laughs> okay, so dry-frying is when you actually don't put any batter on it and you just kind of drop it in there. So what it does is it fries it, but it actually ends up drying out the... The, like outer layer of the meat so that it gets like really crispy so you do this with like really thin strips of meat but wow. it's really good um <laughs> okay. maybe maybe i can make it sometime but um <laughs> you know 
uh, DC rent is very expensive, so <laughs> my kitchen is like one of those, uh, you know, ones. It's one of those ovens you give to kids. <laughs> a tasty bake oven, you know. Like a toaster oven, or um, <laughs> it's it's close to that. It's close to that. Oh. Okay. <laughs> but yes. Um, so I'm Korean. So I grew up on a ton of Korean food. If I'm having a bad day or if I'm sick, that's all I want to eat. Uh, I, my, so, like, living in D.C., it's really hard to find, like, what I would call, like, authentic Korean food. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to drive to the somewhat outskirts of Virginia (laughs) to go get it, um, which is not accessible all the time. But, um, yeah, I, lately I've been talking to my friends about how I've been just dreaming about food floating around in my dreams. (laughs) Um, Perfect for this topic. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like literally just basic comfort food, Korean dishes. And it's like just in midair, it's just floating because I want it so badly. But uh, (laughs) yeah. And oddly enough, so my, uh, my father's mother, she was a great cook. And um, so my grandma, she, cooked all the time and she still cooks now and uh she used to work at like a kimchi factory so like she uh, was really all the kimchi I have at home is homemade and none of it's like store-bought so yeah my then my dad um somehow got into the cooking bug as well so he's a really great cook as well and um oddly enough when you open restaurants it wasn't korean food it was actually italian food uh so (laughs) he had italian restaurants and cooked you know with that he enjoyed italian cuisine a lot as well so um i am very blessed that i grew up with great food in my life uh a lot of home cooked meals whether it was korean or italian or or you know mexican or latino foods or Greek even like I've had every kinds of foods that my dad would make and um yeah and just why my body kind of represents that but (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I love food I go on like food vacations yeah yeah like I said vacations around the restaurants I wanted you said food vacations yeah no my Wayne does that my husband Wayne does that he can go on food vacations yeah so so. you actually travel like how far away do you travel to get food so my very first food vacation I ever did was actually to San Francisco (laughs) um so what I did was I picked all the restaurants I wanted to go to and then catered the touristy stuff around it. So like yeah. my primary was the food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so I've also um, done it in like Texas. I've done it in like different parts of the New York City or boroughs because it's all very different. It's a huge, like New York City is so small, but like just the amount of restaurants that are in that city is, is insane. And um, even though I like grew up there, it still would take me multiple lives to go to all the restaurants. So uh, that's it's been you know I've been blessed with good food and okay. um, but yeah. So I'm gonna talk about since you guys mentioned all these other places, I'm gonna mention what Cleveland has in food. So as in dim sum, um, we have I think th- is it two or three restaurants in Cleveland that do dim sum. Yeah. Um, Liwa restaurant is one Ooh. of the larger ones. Um, Bolong, which been has been around for many years, and then uh, Empress Palace uh, in Old Chinatown, they served him some. And I'm not sure if they all do it seven days a week. I know Liwa does, um, usually from like say ten or eleven right. to two or four. Well, depending on the day. Three? Sometimes, sometimes they do it like two o'clock. Sometimes one thirty. Yeah. Um, but there's dim sum here in Cleveland, nice. and. You mentioned Szechuan. There's Szechuan gourmet. gourmet. We've been going there a lot for the dry, dry pots. But I never understood why it's called dry pot because it doesn't look real dry to me. <laughs> but <laughs> we're like, oh, this is the dry pot. I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> we just eat it. Um, and then han kebab. I don't know what kind of food it, that is. Is that Szechuan? No but that I is spicy. Szechuan, yeah. But we, my kids love it there. They don't tend to eat spicy, but when they eat it, they're like. <laughs> and they they love it. Yeah. The green beans are really yeah. tasty. I don't even know what how they make that. So, have you two both been to any of those Asian restaurants or do some kind of a uh, food travel? 
They haven't. I don't think they've had in that Cleveland, much time. No, yeah. Yeah, should have done that. Well, they they were tied up with interviews. We did take them. We were on the west side um, when it, yesterday, and we took them to Wild Mango. Mm, very it's good. a very uh, yeah. visually appealing restaurant, it is, right? Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are going to be in downtown area more longer, uh, much longer, try out Majorca. Majorca. I can guarantee you it's probably the best paella you ever eaten in the mm, United States. Okay. Okay. Uh, because my sister came here, tried it, and she went back to California. She couldn't find any restaurant that makes the same type of paella that we mm, do here. Okay. Oh. And, so and that's, that's not a – what kind of restaurant is that? That's a Spanish, Spanish restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Johnny, Johnny's uh, I like to has eat. Spanish a influence there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the Korean restaurants, we have quite a few. We have Miega in Asian Town Center on East 38th Street. Um, Korea House is on Superior nearby 38th Street. That's, that's been around for a long time. Um so Garden in Parma, um, they do authentic like Korean a food. There's Garden in every part of this country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's such a common restaurant. There's a Chinese Dominion. Garden in every yeah. part of the country, too. There are tons of Chinese-American restaurants all over Cleveland. They've yeah. always been there. Um, yeah. And I think you mentioned some other restaurants. Oh, like food? Yeah. Are there a lot of Southeast Asian? Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more um, Indian restaurants now. Um, My favorite would yeah. be Cafe Tandoor. Yes. It's again their the, their food is such a better than most other cities. So mm-hmm. you had to try it out. What city can. is that located in? That's located in uh, Cleveland Heights and Westlake. No, not Westlake. Yeah, Westlake. Yes. Okay. They have four different stores. Mm-hmm. Nice. Wow. You're oh, like that's a one man Yelp. Oh, <laughs> uh, when it oh, comes yeah. to food, I, I kind of know a certain type of food. We, we like to eat here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and we do have on our OCAGC.org website um, a list of some of the Asian oh, yes. uh, restaurants <laughs> around. We cr- we created that for the RNC. So okay. we had visitors really hoping that they would come down to Asia Town. Yes. Um, we have a few restaurants listed for um, outside of Asia Town. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least, you know. There are a lot of good quality restaurants um, in Asia Town. Um, Simon Cafe is one of my family's favorite. For um, it's it's a Thai restaurant, but we like going there for <laughs> Chinese food. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's Map of Thailand downtown near Coco Bakery. Coco Bakery, you, you gotta go there. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> it's an Asian bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, they serve um, bubble tea. And I'd be down cakes. before a flight. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do Korean shaved ice. Oh, nice. And how authentic <laughs> it is, but it's good. Okay. <laughs> and the, the basic thing that's the only bakery that most uh, Asian mm. peop, uh, person will kind of visit Cleveland for on the weekends. Mm. People drive all the way yes. from Pittsburgh, Columbus, all the way. And they uh, make their own bread, like the loaf oh, of nice. bread that, that's very popular there. And, and, and we're spoiled, you know, because, well, Food vacations. My family's always going to Toronto to mm. get Asian, good Asian food. You know, growing up because we didn't right. really have all this in Cleveland earlier when I was growing up, and now even we we take food vacations to suburbs of Toronto mm. to get Asian food. Yes. Um, but Cleveland is growing. Um, you know, partially because of the Cleveland Asian Festival, we were able to draw <laughs> more new businesses to this area, um, and so now with the bakery, I, when you go to other cities. The Asian bakery is usually very small, mm-hmm. but in Cleveland, it's kind of like a, you know, there's free Wi-Fi, there, you can sit and have coffee, there's some tables, you can have like rice bowls, mm-hmm. sandwiches, salads, food, nice. so you can get lunch there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's quite nice, actually. So when I go to some other cities for their Asian bakery, and I look at it like, it's so small and there's no place to sit. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm spoiled in Cleveland because we have Coco Bakery. Right. Yeah. Uh, a really interesting experience I had recently was uh, traveling abroad in Europe and trying the different Asian food in Europe and seeing kind of the diaspora communities there over there and kind of comparing them to ours. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because they, they open up the same type of places, you know, they open up the, the, you know, the, the bun mi joint or they open up the, the boba place and, you know, it, it, it's it feels similar but it's it's very different and uh so yeah i mean any part of america i feel like that you eat asian food in is always going to be a little bit different and you know i I think in different parts are yeah it's different i i know cleveland has a lot of authentic asian food and a lot of people from pennsylvania um, come here just to do grocery Mm. shopping for one thing but then they would always eat at the dim sum place or 
some of the other um, Asian restaurants here. I know some places like Columbus have a lot of um, Asian fusion, mm. um, but mm-hmm. maybe not the authentic Asian yeah. foods. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I've been to many pockets of the U.S., um, from super, super rural to suburban, <gasps> all sorts and different cities, but I realized how spoiled I was, and I majority of my life I've had access to authentic Asian food my whole life. I never was, I was never more than 30 minutes away from a spot I can go to to have any sort of Korean or other Asian types of foods and um, even living in DC I feel like oh wow like I, it's not as accessible as I, it used to be for me and so mm-hmm. I feel that pain and it <laughs> sucks <laughs> and uh, like my partner he's from Phoenix so like you go there there's like nothing oh. it's just like I'm like I'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> so and cooking wise Janet what what what's your uh dish that you cook my go-to like it's just all sense of food I cook is I cook a lot of pasta mostly because of my dad's influence of like Italian food but um if I'm gonna cook like Korean food I love making soft tofu stew oh. so um soft tofu stew is like in Korean it's called sundubu and it's like oh yeah yeah and um so it's basically all sorts of stews. You just put some tofu, soft tofu in it and just let it stew. You crack a nice fresh egg into it. And it's like my favorite like sick day food. Um, but things, uh, other than that, I just do the easy thing and like just grill some like pork belly or things like that and have my own like Korean barbecue party. But that's not <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like a uh, thing like most people don't realize is that there's like a lot of different types of Korean food. Mm-hmm. Other um, than Korean barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you're stuck in the Korean barbecue mindset. You're mm. like, oh, dude, Koreans just eat all, all you can eat Korean barbecue. It's like, no, they, they absolutely do not. Um, and I feel like I didn't realize that until I went to like uh, um, L.A. Koreatown, which is, you know, little soul basically and yeah. it's you know it's gigantic and there's you know so many different types of places and i think it's really interesting that you always go to this place for this thing right. this specific thing yep. and then this other restaurant next to it is for this specific right. thing um and they have the other stuff but you don't order that mm-hmm. and you just go with the, <laughs> with the one thing yeah so yeah, I mean, I would actually say if I categorize what most of Korean food actually looks like is stews. It's a lot of stews. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, and obviously we're known for our panchons, which is the side dishes, right? And yeah. so the, all the little, like, veggie or meat or fish or whatever it is. And so, I mean, for me, like, going to a Korean restaurant is more about the panchan sometimes than my oh. main dish. <laughs> like, I love that stuff. Um, and, like, uh, like I said, like, my grandmother, she makes, like, all our kimchi, like, fr- like homemade and then my now that she went back to korea my dad makes it homemade Uh we have a refrigerator just for kimchi um (laughs) there's actually such a thing called a kimchi refrigerator (laughs) uh koreans have made this (laughs) and it's like you can set it on certain temperatures to like make sure the kimchi is sitting properly Wow. Yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> I did not. Very deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We have two kimchi refrigerators at my home back in wow. Jersey. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know that much about kimchi. I just, <laughs> it, it comes, I look at it, I eat it. I actually, sometimes don't even know, like, is this fish or tofu? We don't know. Yeah. We just eat it. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So, well, I think we're wrapping up our hour and, you know, we've, since we've covered our food topic because we always ask our guests that. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye.